Good morning, and open your Bibles up to James chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning together. Now, I know uh, many of you, probably most of you, have seen these, these shows on television over the past, seems like, decade or more, these makeover shows. Not the home makeover, but the, the, per, you know, the personal makeover, right? And so what do you have with those? You usually have a guy that looks pretty rough, uh, you know, crazy looking hair, maybe a beard down to here and uh, just dated, worn clothes. And there's somebody, maybe it's a family member, a, a child or a brother or sister that just sees the potential and knows there's something under there somewhere, <laughs> right? There's just a diamond in the rough. And uh, so they go through this process of having a, a makeover. And, and so the show, look, they're, there's, there's, they're intentional about this. They, they show the before and they make a big deal about what this person looks like. And then there's a process of cleaning up, maybe getting a haircut, maybe a wardrobe change. And then there's what the, the reveal. And everybody's amazed. Everybody's astonished. And, you know, sometimes tears are shed because of the, the change that took place. Um, this is a true story. I had a dream. I don't know how long ago. I think it was maybe, uh, it's been a while back. Let's say at least five years. But I had a dream that I had a makeover. <laughs> and I don't know why I dreamed this. You know, usually they say you dream about what you think about. I was not thinking about <laughs> having a makeover. And uh, it was a really weird dream, but all dreams are weird, aren't they? Um, but it was one of those dreams that just stuck with me. And uh, I had a makeover, so I went through the, the, whole, the whole process, and I was on one of these shows, and I'm not sure who wanted me to have a makeover, and that was never told to me. But I went through the process and had all this stuff done. I may have had hair. I can't really remember. But, I, you know, anyway, I was kind of into it and, you know, getting pampered and all this stuff and, um, you know, went on one of these shows and went out to the reveal where I walked out in front of everybody and I didn't change. Like, I was the exact same. Like my before and after picture were exactly the same. Same dress and everything. And everybody was like, looking around and like, is this a joke? You know, what kind of trick is this guy playing? <laughs> and uh, that's a real, that, I really had that dream. Um, you know, as Christians, when we change, when we become Christians, we change on the inside completely. And when that change doesn't reveal on the outside, God sometimes just goes, hello? You know, what's going on here? With that, it's supposed to be this big change, this big reveal, and I've done this work to you, and it's not showing showing up, right? Um, God wants us to change completely, change the way we think, the way we act, the way we listen and do, right? Remember, we learned that from last week. God even wants to change the way we view others, the way we treat others. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Real faith is showing the Father's heart. And we left off with this verse here in chapter 1, verse 127. James says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, God isn't honored with empty words. You know, God isn't honored with simply our speech. But God is honored when our hearts become more like His. When we have compassion and mercy and we show that 
And James mentioned these two groups, orphans and widows, and really they represented a group that was the most needy in the world during this time. And what James is saying is, look, you want to know what real faith looks like? You want to know what pleases the Lord? Well, when you uh, look after the most helpless people in all the world, that is what pleases the Father. But James also mentioned something else in this verse, and we did not... We didn't tease it out last week, okay? And we're, we're going to tease it out today. He says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And, and what that means is to be affected or influenced by a world system. To be, to be poisoned is the idea that James is trying to convey to us. James says the Father wants to keep us from that, wants us to avoid that. What does the world tell us, after all? You're the most important. Look after yourself. Your desires are what really, really matters, right? You focus on yourself and you, you will do well in this world. That's what the world teaches us. After all, we, we have the American dream, right? We're so blessed to live in this country, aren't we? So blessed, but we have the American dream to compete with as Christians. That's a big, that's a big competitor for us. And the, the first sin came from selfish ambition. So you see what kind of uh, monster that this is up against, that we're up against. What God calls us to do is completely opposite of what the world expects of us. And in order to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, we have to go against the grain. We have to not only value ourselves and look after ourselves, but we have to value others and look to others as well. We have to see others the way that God sees them. Now we've talked about this many times as, as we started James, but it is the theme of James, and so I think it's important to at least mention it briefly every week. God wants our faith to be real. He just wants us to have real faith, genuine faith. And what happens, uh, real faith is tested, isn't it? That's how you know if it's real or not. Faith gets tested out. And we've talked about many tests. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about this. One way our faith gets tested is in how we treat others, and how we view others, how we love others. Now, our scripture focus today is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So join me there in the scripture, in your Bible. What we're going to see today is some wisdom from a pastor on the importance of viewing others with love, with mercy, and respect. And just to provide some very basic context to our passage, right? We just talked about James mentioning widows and orphans, that group there. But James moves to another group here that he discusses, a larger group, and that is, that is the poor. That is the poor. The vast majority of Christians during this time were poor. And when I say vast majority, I mean almost all of them were poor. And so during moments of persecution, during times of difficulty, who gets affected the most? They do. They do. So there were Christians living in poverty, but there were also some Christians who were fine, right? They didn't have too much to worry about as far as material things. So what you had was really a mixture of people. You had... Uh, the rich, the poor, and then you had the middle class. Sounds like today, right? Here's the problem, though. Each of these different groups, each of these different classes were treating each other differently. 
um, they, there were those that had money that were being viewed and, and treated better and more valuable than others. Now listen, doesn't the world do that? Now doesn't the world tell us to honor those that look good or, or value those that have nice things? There's this subtle pressure, that's, and it never gets released from us, to do that. Well, if we are to keep ourselves from being polluted by that world system, we have to act differently. And so the first thing I want to share with you this morning is favoritism has no place in the life of a Christ follower. Favoritism has no place in the life of a Christ follower. Now, favoritism in the Greek, it's a, it's a series of words. It's not just one word, but it literally means this, to receive the face of someone. That's what the word means. It, it, it's a judgment call that we make to accept someone based on external factors. We treat somebody different based on something on the outside. Now, look, this is one of the questions that I wrote down for myself as I was thinking about this week, about today. Do we show favoritism today? All right, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, can we, can we really take what James is saying and apply it to today? Do we show favoritism today? And I would say sure. Sure we do. Um, we display favoritism in, in many ways, just like what James is saying Think about it. We treat others differently based on physical appearance, based on what they look like, how they, how they dress, um, what kind of job they have, right? That, things that are visible to us in, in society, their age, right? What you can see is this person young or old. Look, their accent. We treat others differently. And social status, really. How is this person viewed in the community? And if you don't think there's a problem, all you got to do is ask a young person. All you got to do is ask somebody in school. Um, even in elementary school, kids are doing this. Kids are, are treating each other differently based on how this person dresses or this person looks this way. And in middle school, you, it just gets worse. And you go into high school and there's this term that we've been dealing with for a long time, and it's called bullying. And what does that stem from? Showing favoritism to a few while devaluing others, right? Um, we, we are naturally, by nature, we are drawn to people that look like us, that think like us, that act like us. And conversely, we are naturally pushed away uh, by people that don't look like us, that don't think like us, that don't act like us. We're turned away by that. Look at what James says in verse 1 of chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So right out of the gate here, you don't really have to question what James is trying to say, do you? You don't have to look for the meaning. It's right there. It's pretty clear. He gets right to the point. Do not show favoritism. You know, you don't do it. Your translation might say partiality uh, or something like that, but the meaning is the same. But I want you to notice something. How, I want you to notice how James started this argument here, how he started it out. He says, my brothers and sisters. You know, he doesn't throw out the bishop card, does he? 
He, he doesn't throw out the brother of Jesus card. You know, James knew something very important. He knew that all believers are equal at the foot of the cross of Christ. And so he, as he begins his argument, he was very quick to, to humbly place himself as equal to everybody, everybody else, my brothers and sisters. But he also did something else. Um, he quickly shifts the focus to who? Christ. He quickly places Christ back in focus. He says, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to uh, put somebody on a pedestal, you put Jesus on a pedestal. If you want to glorify somebody, glorify Jesus Christ. But do not show favoritism to others based on external factors and superficial, superficial things. Why? Why don't we do that? Well, there are some critical reasons why we are not to display favoritism or partiality. And look, there are some things that we either knowingly or we unknowingly do when we show favoritism. And they're big. They're really big. So I want you to listen. Okay? I want you to to lean in here. The first thing that we do when we show favoritism is we misrepresent the character of God. We misrepresent the character of God. You know, there is a special place in the heart of God for the needy, for the poor, um, for the helpless and the hopeless. All throughout God's word, we see God looking into this, this world and seeing individuals and, and reaching out to them and showing love. And then we also see God looking to those same individuals to accomplish his plan and his purposes God chooses those people most often in his word he sees the poor he sees the helpless he sees the average and he decides to accomplish his purposes in this world through them and so James makes his point here by giving us an example of people in the church mistreating those who are poor look at verse 2 suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old, old clothes also comes in. So you get the idea. One meeting, one assembly, two, two men come in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now what were the people doing here? Treating somebody different based on how they looked. It's that, that simple. A man comes in, he looks nice, uh, he's blinged out, you know, has rings, and it's Tom Brady probably with, with the five Super Bowl, is it five, I think, five Super Bowl rings, and, and he's given royal treatment. You come here, we have a seat for you. And then, and then somebody else comes in, and he doesn't look like that, he looks shabby. It doesn't mention him wearing any jewelry at all. And how is he treated? What did they ask him to do? You go stand where? There meaning there. Over yonder is what we say here, right? You go over yonder. You stand over there. Or what's the other option? 
Sit at where? Sit at my feet. Well, you know who sits at my feet? My dog. You know, you see the difference. You see the difference there. Look, stuff like this happens all the time. Maybe not to that extreme. And I would say that it doesn't happen to that extreme here at this church. Um, But I just got to tell you, it happens around us all the time. You may know of instances where where things like this or similar to this uh, have happened. The point James is trying to make here is this. You don't give special attention to someone based on how good they look or how rich they are. And just the opposite, you don't give lesser attention or you don't marginalize somebody just because they don't look the way that you want them to or they don't look good or they don't have money or they don't look like the greatest person in the church. That's the point James is trying to make. You don't give special attention based on the way somebody looks. James goes on to say, verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. James was saying, look, you, you all have turned everything around completely. Not only are you giving special attention to someone just because they are rich, but you are mistreating someone because they are poor, right? And that you do not do. Why? You dishonor those whom God has chosen. You bring dishonor to God's chosen people. There's a special place in the heart of God for the poor. Both poor in spirit, right? Both poor spiritually and both poor uh, physically, materially. And James reminds us that God chose those who were poor in spirit to be rich in faith. Who does that remind you of? God, it so reminds us of his brother, Jesus, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, speaking of Jesus, God's own son came to us poor. Now, God's own son came to us humble. He came with nothing. The majestic King of kings, Lord of lords, the royal priest of heaven came to, into this world with nothing. And he lived a very average life the whole way through. He was born in a borrowed stable. He, he borrowed fish from a little boy to feed a crowd. He borrowed a boat to teach that crowd. He had to borrow a coin in order to teach and illustrate an important truth to Peter. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed a room to celebrate the Last Supper and and Passover before his death. He borrowed cross from a man named Barabbas. He borrowed a tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. You know what? He even borrowed some linen 
for a little while, and he gave it back. He said, I don't need it anymore. He even folded it up nice and neat. He said, here you go. You know, the life that the Lord chose here among us was average. And so what James is saying is, if you show favoritism in any form, it doesn't have to be extreme. If you show favoritism in any form, you misrepresent the character of God. And we distort the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, when we do that. So we do that, but the second thing we do, I told you these were big, didn't I? Very big. The second thing we do is we break the law of God. We break the law of God. It's, it's bad enough that we misrepresent God, right? That would be bad enough. But we, when we show favoritism, we break the law of God. Now listen to me. God takes his laws very seriously. Some may, some may argue that, oh, those laws don't apply to me now. We're in the period of grace. We're in the New Testament age. Now, those laws don't apply to me. I tell you, that's wrong. That's the wrong way to think. God never, ever intended his laws to be a list of do's and don'ts. He intended his laws to be used by us as a way to reflect him in this world. Now, God's laws reflect who he is and how he wants us to live. Okay, And James says this in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And what James is referring to here, it's the royal law. It's the supreme law. In other words, it's the law that governs all the others. And it's the law of love. Love is what all of the other commands, all of the other laws flows from. In the New Testament, when asked to identify the greatest commandment, singular, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But, you know, he didn't stop there. He went in and said, and the second is like it. So instead of of giving them just one commandment, he gave them two, but you can't separate them. He said, and the second is like it, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And this next statement that he makes is profound. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of them. Every law, every command in the Bible can be traced back from loving God and loving others. James said, if you keep that, you're doing good. Verse 9, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It was popular thinking and popular practice, especially among the religious leaders during this time, to think, to have this idea that, well, I'm just going to keep the majority of the laws. I might break some, but as long as I have more kept than I do broke, I'm good. That sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Right? If I just do more good than bad, I'm good. I'm good with God. Many still think that today, but James correctly and very quickly reminded them that showing favoritism, by showing favoritism, they were guilty of breaking not just one law, but the whole thing. 
the entire law because they had broke the command that they all come from. The governing command, the royal law, the law of, of love. The heart and the core of God's law is love. And who is the ultimate example of that? Jesus. You see, that's how we apply the Old Testament to us is through Jesus. And Jesus is the person that intersects the Old and the New Testament. All the Old Testament commands, all the Old Testament laws apply to us because they filter through Christ. The scripture tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Now think about it this way. That Jesus is the physical representation of what was written down on stone tablets. He is the ultimate display and the presentation of love, which leads us to the last thing that we do when we show favoritism. And it's, again, it's very important. We take that love, that, that love that God showed us through Jesus, and we take that and we just push it to the side. We devalue the love and the mercy of God when we show favoritism. What happened at the cross? God showed love, didn't he? But God also showed mercy. Um, judgment fell on a Savior who was blameless. And mercy fell upon a world that didn't deserve it. Our penalty of sin and death was paid for by another and now those who are guilty can have freedom and they can have life. Well, you might say, I'm free to do what? Or we might have life to do what? To do whatever I wish, whatever I want, that type of freedom? No, no, no. Now because of Christ, what do we know? We know what it truly means to show love and mercy. That's the law we follow. In our freedom, we are to show that same type of sacrificial love and mercy to others. Just like the Old Testament laws were given to us to display the image of God, Christ was given to us so that we can display the image of God as well, to be bearers of the image of God through the love of Christ. So James says this in verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, at the cross we see the ultimate act of God's love for us. Let me ask you this. Who did Christ die for? Everyone. The world. Not just a group. Not just a class of society, not just certain people, Christ died for everyone. And look, we talked last week about listening, right? It's very important that we listen to God. And we talked about doing, it's very important that we listen and do. I don't want you to miss this. There's a strict warning here for us to understand that Christ died for everyone. For us to listen and to apply. Look, why? James says we will all be judged. The scripture teaches us that elsewhere too. We will all be judged by how we treat others. By what we say and what we do. God is very concerned with how we treat others. Because he loves everyone. And he sent his son to die for 
everyone. And in turn, he expects us to treat others the same way. You know, um, this has been about five years ago, but I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, for my job and go to a conference. And I had been there before, but I had never stayed in the city, like literally in the heart of the city. Uh, so I got to experience Washington, D.C., the real Washington. And within 30 minutes of me checking into my hotel and going out, you know, I was met by a homeless person. And, uh, you know, it was just different to be out of my normal, everyday environment and to see that, uh, witness that first, firsthand. And so I met the guy with compassion and smiled and talked to him a little bit. And he asked for some money. I gave him some money. And, uh, so, but I, had, I was there maybe four or five days. And the thing was is that this happened repeatedly, time and time again. So as time went by and as the days went by and as the people came, my smile began to straighten out. And eventually it it turned upside down. My heart started to get hard. I started avoiding these people. When I would see see them coming, I would juke them. You know what juke is? I'd put one of my football moves on them and, and, and avoid them. I started seeing them as, as a lesser group of people, almost. I started thinking, that's gross. That's repulsive. I don't want to be around that. You know, and I left Washington, D.C. feeling that way. With a bitter taste and a bitter heart. And it, Look, God caught up with me. I don't know how long it was, maybe two weeks, maybe two months, but I just know this. Something triggered me to think back to what I was. Something triggered to make me think of the grace and love that God showed me. When I was unclean, when I was dirty, when even my best works, the Bible says, were filthy rags, God looked at me and said, I'll take you. I'll love you. Instead of pushing me away and being repulsed by me and saying, get away from me, God looked at me and said, come to me. Come to me with open arms. The gospel calls us to change. And the cross calls us to action. Right? We have to remember that. It calls us to reflect the mercy that God showed you and to me that same mercy we need to reflect back out to others. And you might say, how do I do that? Well, one way is in everyday life. You would not believe the opportunities that we all have each and every day to show simple, small things, to show uh, God's love in a big way to somebody else. And we can do that at our work. We can do that in our neighborhoods. We can do that, hey, look, at the grocery store. We can do that on social media. We can do it at Friday nights when the focus is your team and and winning the game. If you just take the time just to step back and look for opportunities. That's what happened here. I want to share this story with you. I found it on a a website that I like to go to called faithit.org. If you're tired of looking at the news online and seeing all the sad stories, you can go to this, this website 
and it gives uh, positive things, real-life stories that encourage you rather than bring you down. Um, I saw this, and it's about a lady named Angela, a middle-aged lady, white, and a, a little boy named Isaiah. He's probably seven or eight, but he's, he's black. And they were at a football game and um, didn't know each other. And so uh, Isaiah went up to Angela, and Angela talked to Isaiah for about 20, 20 minutes or so. And what I did was I found their story on here. And you might say, well, that's not a big deal. Let me, uh, let me just share this with you. This is from Isaiah's aunt. She put this on Facebook trying to connect with this lady. She says, I don't know who this lady is, but if you know her, tell her she's awesome. Isaiah walked up to this lady at our last home game two weeks ago. He sat on her lap, and they were, they were talking like they knew each other. It lasted no more than 20 minutes. However, she left right after the, uh, halftime to meet up with her little girl. Fast forward to tonight. So that's where the photo comes from. The first time they met, it was just talking, just a, a verbal interaction. This is, is tonight. Fast forward to tonight. Not long after we sat down at the game, Isaiah spotted her. She waved at him, and he made his way up to her. I thought their interaction would be the same as last time. In other words, just talking, but she says, I was wrong. Isaiah walked up to her, smiling, crawled in her lap, laid his head down on her shoulder. She welcomed him with open arms. This lady patted and rocked Isaiah to sleep like she had given birth to him. It was the sweetest. And we asked her if she wanted us to get him, but she kept telling us that she was fine. Isaiah and this lady had never met before other than those 20 minutes at a game two weeks ago. I told her tonight that I'm, I'm sorry and I don't know why he keeps bothering her. She replied, he's no bother. She said he was her new friend. She then went on to say she has only one child who is 15 and moments like this are priceless. With all the racial tension that's going on, I'm glad to see the pictures like these because it goes to show color don't matter to a lot of people. It really don't. Arguing over stuff as such makes us miss the simple pleasures in life. I hate I didn't get her name, but I will next game because I'm sure Isaiah will make his way back to her. Listen to what she says here. I love her, and I don't even know her. Yeah, isn't that good? Well, uh, Angela found out that Isaiah's aunt was trying to figure out who she was, and this thing has just gone viral. Um, so there was some help in getting them connected and stuff like that. This is Angela's response to this. Listen to this. To God be all praise, glory, and honor. I have been overwhelmed with emotions today as I have read the post that was shared. I am humbled by the kind words everyone has spoken. Isaiah is absolutely adorable. And here's why I wanted to share this with you. I pray people will see Jesus in all this. And though his love is beyond measure, and that, that is how I want to lo love and live my life, I'm not worthy, but he is. Man, now that's what it's all about. Something that simple can have a big impact for the kingdom. Something that simple can show Jesus in a big way. So everyday life, look for those opportunities and three other things I want to share with you really quick before we close. Practical ways here locally 
First of all, we have a backpack ministry. Many, many of you already know about this and are involved, but if you uh, are interested in this, you can let Miss Virginia Hart know. But it's a partnership with St. Mary's Catholic Church and and the United Way. And what they do is they pack food, sacks of food, every week, every Thursday. And they, they give it to children on Friday to take home with them over the weekend. And it's distributed to the needy. It's very professional and it's very discreet. It's done in an honorable way so the kids are not embarrassed. But So, so folks, uh, they need help on Thursdays to pack these bags. And it only takes an hour or two. And they pack literally hundreds of bags worth of food and they distribute them to the schools. That's a way that you can help. Another way is obviously the food pantry. We've had a partnership with them for a long time. Our church sponsors uh, a day uh, here and there. And if you want to uh, sign up and say, look, I want to help for a, a half a day, uh, you can just get with John Teets. Everybody, most people know knows John. Um, and, and work down there to help, to volunteer. And you can really start, begin to see the needs out there are much bigger than what you may think. And then finally, I wanted to mention this with the hurricane approaching. We have an opportunity to help folks in need uh, from disasters. We have disaster relief. And, and our church is a partner with the Virginia Baptist Association. And they have one of the most successful disaster relief programs in the country. All right? We have an opportunity to help out. We already do by, by partnering uh, with them. But look, here's what I would like to do. I would like to have a disaster relief team here at the church at Community Heights. And maybe, maybe you know, we don't go to the beach or down there or anything like that, but what if something happens here locally? What if something happens in Mercer County? What if something happens in Buchanan County? You know, what if something happens in Russell County or Wise or anything where we can reach? Look, we have the people and we have the resources to make a difference. They have training. It's all free. Uh, look, and just because you may not be a handyman or have a chainsaw, that don't mean you can't help. This is so neat what they do. They have uh, elderly ladies that wash the clothes of the volunteers. Many times they go in and these places are filthy. There's mud to the ceilings of these homes that have been flooded. And so the guys go in there and they clean that out. Well, the elderly ladies, they'll come in and they'll take the clothes of the guys and they'll wash them. Or they'll pack uh, lunches for them. It doesn't matter who you are. If, if you, know, you have the heart, you can help. If you have the time, you can help. So if you're in a season of your life where you, know, you might be interested in something like this, you can get with me. You can just let me know. And I would like to, for our church to start uh, uh, doing things like that with disaster relief because it seems like every year there's something, right? There's a flood here or there's a hurricane here or, you know, there's a tornado here. All within maybe four hours of us, we can make a big difference. And we've got the people that can do it too. Look, when we see others the way God sees them and we treat everyone with love and mercy... We honor God and we glorify Christ. I want to close with this verse here. Matthew 25, 40. Jesus says this, Whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus says, you do for me. Look, we do what we do for Christ. And we do what we do 
because of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have real faith. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you and we thank you today. We thank you for the word that you've given to us. We thank you for the challenge and the truth that you've placed on our hearts. Father, help us just to have the courage, just the wisdom to apply what you've taught us to our lives. Father, when we look back and we, we see the cross, we see the ultimate display of your mercy and your love. And that cross, it compels us as Christ followers to action. Father, help us to see the way that you see. Help us to love others the way that you loved us. And Father, I just pray if we've gotten off track, if our hearts have become hardened in any way, I pray that you would soften them this morning. Father, your word teaches us that uh, we're going to be held accountable one day for how we treat others. Father, may we spend our lives here carrying out your plans and purposes. May we give our lives over to you to reflect the love and the mercy that you've shown to us to this world. When we do that, we honor and we glorify and we do that for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.